for example, if you are a Texas-based company and you have someone who wants to work remote from Waco, that's probably okay. You probably don't have to have a big conversation about that. If you are a Texas-based company and you have someone who wants to work in Washington, then that is a different conversation or can be a different conversation because there are payroll tax implications and there can also be corporate income tax implications there. Oh, and I'm not a tax person, so I'm definitely not getting into the corporate income tax piece. But there are things that exist that do require, in some cases, very detailed conversations with, with experts in those, in those items. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for customers, shareholders, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Many professionals get into HR because they're good with people. They're good at organizing, directing, and motivating others. They know how to solve problems, how to use empathy. But then they find that leading people inside an organization also requires understanding the nuts and bolts of the organization's mission, which necessarily includes how the organization generates revenue and where it spends that money and how internal and external circumstances influence the organization's finances. We can't effectively execute our people strategy if we don't understand our financial strategy. So joining me today is Ashley Taylor. Ashley is a certified public accountant and the vice president of finance at Mauser Electronics. She's also the mother of three, a yoga teacher, namaste, and a Lean Six Sigma Yellow Belt. Ashley will be a speaker at Fort Worth HR's annual Strategic Mindset Conference on September 23rd. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Ashley. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So first, let's get some terms straight. Is there a difference between accounting and finance, or is it like human resources and human capital management, once just a fancier term for the same thing? I think it depends on who you ask that question. Since you're asking me, I will tell you, I believe that they are two different terms. Uh, accounting is typically the making of the donuts, the doing the things, paying bills, posting customer payments, running payroll. And finance is more um, like maybe you think more venture capitalist or more private equity as far as running models on like it's more common, I would say, in the M&A environment. Um, than it is on the day-to-day in a in an operation. So accounting is the more transactional side of it and finance is the more strategic. Perfect. How do we yes. scale side exactly. of it? Exactly. Okay. So on the accounting side then, in most organizations, accounting is reconciling the books, making sure accounts receivables uh, are... are are coming in, accounts payables are going out, that kind of stuff, making sure payroll happens, whatever. And then finance, let's talk about the strategic side. And so what are some strategic things that a, a finance department might be looking at to help the organization succeed? Well, like you said earlier, um, in most, well, and in more, most organizations, your goal is to make money, to make profit. 
And that's even true even if you are a not-for-profit. Those org- you st- An organization still has to sustain itself. Um, so I think the role for for finance in an organization is being involved in the conversations about what the overall goals are for the organization and providing the information his- that's historic about what's happened in the prior years. And accounting largely, I mean, accountants largely are historians. We look at things primarily that have already occurred. So the information, timely and solid information is very useful to an organization in their goal setting so that they know what has occurred, what are the circumstances that led to those results and what could maybe be changed to to either change, mostly to increase those results. So that, that's interesting is, I'm curious, does, in the HR world for the last 30 years, there's this been re- this recurring mantra or a really complaint from some HR folks that HR doesn't get the seat at the table that it deserves. Um, on the finance side, is do you hear that much? Or is that mostly, maybe it's on the accounting side in those organizations where they've got primarily transactional accounting departments. But is that a conversation that happens uh, in the numbers world about how much influence uh, whoever's managing the numbers has uh, at the at the table? Sometimes um, that's largely uh, dependent on the leaders in an organization, and it also can be dependent on the size of the organization. Um, I'm very fortunate to work in an organization and have worked multiple organizations where accounting and finance does have a seat at the table because we are interested in that information. Um, And also, um, we've been lucky to work in organizations that see it more as a partnership. So our partner, how we support our business partners from an accounting and finance standpoint is providing clean, accurate, very timely financials to every extent possible so that you can still take action on it. It's not very helpful to get financial information six weeks after something has occurred. So we can only be as helpful to an organization as the information is timely. So I think that that is mostly and what I've seen in my career is based on the leadership in an organization. If accounting, of course, I'm going to say this as an accountant, but if accounting is not at the table, then they should be. Because there are a lot of things early in my career, it was explained to me that accounting is like the basement in a leaky house. And all of the things that go wrong up above all show up in accounting. As much as you would like things to be, math does not lie. And once it comes down into the numbers, you either can prove or disprove if you thought an initiative was going to be successful, whether it was or whether it wasn't. Well, and it's interesting how you, uh, it's funny because you use the, the basement analogy. And in my career in HR, I've also heard that Everything rolls downhill uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> into HR, so right. so maybe we're uh, you know, uh, and probably another common uh, challenge that accounting folks have and finance folks that HR folks have is that we're seen as a cost center. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. uh, we don't you know create the widgets, we don't sell the widgets, um, and so. We're seen as, you know, an overhead expense, and uh, that can sometimes, depending on the leaders of the organization, be frustrating. Uh, do you all have that in on the accounting side? Yes. 
yes, we do. So I've definitely heard that uh, over the years. We even kind of joke internally, you know, well, we're not a revenue, you know, what are we, what can we do to generate revenue? And it's true that accounting nor HR really can do anything to drive the top line, but a lot of being profitable is controlling your expenses as well. And sometimes you have more control over that than you do growing your top line revenue. So I would say, and one of the areas that I think that accounting and HR team well together here is in how your employees view your your interaction with them. Is that, uh, you know, if, if an employee, for example, has a difficult onboarding and maybe it takes a long time to pay or there's some kind of communication that didn't get corrected, maybe their W-4 was updated incorrectly and then their paycheck is wrong, then accounting and HR work together for that so that things with that employee are right. So I would say, and retention, employee retention, especially now, is so key to an organization. We spend so much time and effort, which translates into dollars, training people, onboarding people, looking for candidates, that you want it to be a strong and good experience for them once they are there. So there's a lot about that as far as the employee relations side that's good for the employees, which is great for the, quote, soft side of things. And it also is good for bottom line. And one of the other key areas that um, is important to pay attention to is compliance and accounting and HR. It's another parallel, I believe, between those two departments is that we're both largely compliance driven. And one of the key areas specific between HR and accounting is payroll taxes. And payroll taxes are not, well, taxes in general, I would say, are probably not anybody's uh, cocktail hour conversation, but uh, they are very important. And those are, those are gross profit dollars that are going out the door. So you want those to be correct. And in order for that to be the case, the communication has to be very strong between all relevant departments, specifically HR and accounting. So... Some people would say that HR is the warm and fuzzy side of the operation and accounting is that black and white, you know, just the facts, ma'am side. Uh, and, you, and you're saying that's pretty accurate, but they're not mutually exclusive. I think it's I think it is. Um, it's an accurate. Um, I don't want to say it's not a misconception. It is true. Accounting is very, um, we're very rule based. Everything that we do is based on the left side matching the right side. Um, but I think that's also true of HR. That rules are rules. Laws are laws. So there are just some things that, that have to be black and white. I think that um, accountants and accounting teams do themselves a disservice by being more black and white think you have to see yourself as providing customer service to your other departments. That's how we view ourselves. And we, and we work with HR in that same way. It's not always the perfect experience. Of course, that's, you know, nothing ever is. But if we as accountants see ourselves and interact more from a, well, let's just talk it through. What are you trying to accomplish? How can we maybe look at doing that? then lots of times we're able to find a way to work together. If we know what the end goal is, sometimes we can offer up a solution that says, well, I know that you want to do A, but we, we already do B. Could we see if B will work for your situation? And I would say at least 90% of the time that's the case. You can, can get where you're going. You just have to take a few extra minutes to talk about what is driving it, what's the end goal for everyone else. And 
And I think from an accounting standpoint, from, well, I would say from any standpoint, but you want to be a department that is seen as helpful and seen as interactive so that when something goes wrong, people feel comfortable to come and talk with you. And if you are constantly about the black and white and the and the pointing out of the errors and the rules of everything, then generally, I mean, that's just human nature. People don't want to do that. So you have these open conversations. People see you as someone who's trying to help them rather than someone who's trying to point out what they've done wrong. And they're more likely to engage with you in that way. And you just gave a masterclass in the same thing that I've been saying to HR for 25 years. It's the same issue. There's There are HR departments out there still who see their primary role as being Dr. No. In, uh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, ensuring that every, uh, you know, T is crossed, I is dotted, and these are our policies and, and we don't waver. Um, and those are the organizations when things get like they have been the last year and a half with uh, labor shortages and employee retention challenges, where it's really hard to, to accommodate uh, the individual in a way that keeps them on board and engages them and at the same time helps the organization meet their objectives. Uh, there's that, you know, that understanding of, okay, what are you trying to accomplish here? And, uh, you know, let us figure out the best way to, to, to get you there without setting a precedent that the rest of the organization expects us to follow every single time this issue comes up. One of the things that um, we talk about on our side is we try to say yes as much as we can so that when we say no, we're taken seriously. It's not a constant conversation. So again, well, there's lots of times that we're able to meet in the middle and figure out something that works. And there are other times when, nope, we are, we are the department of no, because sometimes it's just not, it just won't happen. But when you try to work with people and people know that you try to work with them or that you've worked with them in the past, then I think you have credibility with them that says, okay, well, if it would, if it would, if there was a possibility that that would work, then Ashley would have said so, or accounting would have said so. So I think you help yourself. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 23 years ago, I founded Imperative to help risk-averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy-to-understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes it means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. Outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know-your-customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles and firms in which they are considering making private equity placements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved. We help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 59 and enter the keyword finance. That's F-I-N-A-N-C-E. And now back to my conversation with Ashley Taylor. So build that credibility along the way by not being 
an obstacle just because you have the opportunity to be an obstacle. Exactly. And then when you actually have to say no, or, you know, there are reasons we don't, we can't do the thing that you're asking us to do. You've got the credibility and the trust of the rest of the team that, Hey, you know, they know what they're talking about and we need to, we need to reexamine this. Yes. Makes, makes perfect sense for both the county <laughs> and HR. That's right. We solved the whole thing. Great. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're, over. Done. we're done. <laughs> so other than making sure, well, let me ask you this. What's your opinion? Should payroll be an accounting function or an HR function? <laughs> oh, this is a good HR one. This, com- this comes up a lot everywhere. I think that it's uh, it's almost impossible for it to, to be exclusively in HR or exclusively in accounting, depending on the size of your organization. If you are a particularly small organization, you probably have the same person who's doing all those things. And I have definitely seen that. And sometimes that's the way that it is. Um, I think the thing that makes that challenging is especially as you get into a larger organization or like a publicly held organization that has very specific regulatory requirements is that benefits and the the insurance and and the hiring and the onboarding of that part, that is an HR task. It goes through recruiting, it goes through the HR generalists, it goes through the benefits specialists, and those are the people who have that information. Now, could those people could those same people be in accounting? Maybe. I mean, it just depends on which, you know, which department you're going to put them in. But I think the other thing is from an speaking of it from an accounting standpoint primarily, is you have an internal control concern in that you don't want the same people uh, who have access to onboarding a new employee, entering all that employee's pay information, being the exact same group who is also processing the pay for those people. It's It's an internal control. And if you're going through an internal control audit, financial audit, that is definitely on their checklist to look to see what that, how those separation of duties exist. So it's not even because in a department, in HR, it could definitely be two different people. Probably you would want it to be two different people if you have enough staff to do that. But it adds an additional level of that internal control to have them in completely different departments under, under different leaders, in my opinion. Yeah, and just we wouldn't want the same person approving a purchase order, accepting the invoice, approving it for payroll, and cutting exactly. the check. It's makes you know, and controls should be a big HR function, and you know, and and uh, keeping you know, making sure that that things are are you know are done according to a system that has checks and balances, and obviously that's a big deal in accounting uh, as well. So. Besides making sure payroll gets out somehow, uh, what would you say the ideal relationship between HR and accounting would look like? Um, proactive, I think is the primary. Um, I'm very fortunate to work with a team currently that we are very proactive about discussing, for example, one of the primary things that we discuss right now, and I think a lot, this is true for a lot of employers right now, is how do we accommodate remote work? And outside of and outside of if that's your policy, that's a whole other conversation. But if your policy is that you do allow remote work, uh, then there are or can be issues related to that. It doesn't impact necessarily how those people are paid. For example, if you are a Texas-based company and you have someone who wants to work remote from Waco, that's probably okay. 
you probably don't have to have a big conversation about that. If you are a Texas-based company and you have someone who wants to work in Washington, then that is a different conversation or can be a different conversation because there are payroll tax implications and there can also be corporate income tax implications there. Oh, and I'm not a tax person, so I'm definitely not getting into the corporate income tax piece. But there are things that exist that do require, in some cases, very detailed conversations with with experts in those in those items. And even outside of that piece, you still have regulatory requirements in if you are not currently, if you don't currently have employees in Washington, then you have to register with that state. You have a lot of setup that you don't control that that has to be done. You're dependent on other people. You also likely will have systems set up on your internally that you will have to manage. So I would say the, the more notice and the more proactive HR can be with accounting, the better if there is. So that's one, that's really one primary area that, and it can take a lot of time. And again, it, if it's not done well, it can result in a very negative experience for your employee, which is not what anybody wants. Yeah, when we went, when a lot, all these companies went remote in 2020, um, and then started touching base with folks about, hey, we're going to return to the office and those kinds of things. I, I talked to plenty of employers who suddenly realized that they had employees in Oklahoma, Colorado, right. Right. or God forbid, California. And they're, 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 now they're deciding, oh, well, do we want to become a multi-state employer mm-hmm. to hold this one position? You right. know, are we going to do that? Are we going to go through this expense? maybe the, the regulatory and tax issues that come with being an employer in San Francisco or someplace. Uh, do we want to register our corporations and all? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I know, unfortunately, that there are still some companies I'm aware of who are saying, that, well, we're just going to treat them like a Texas employee. Ah. And we're just gonna, you know, and that'll work right up to the moment it doesn't. The problem is, is right. as soon as that employee is terminated or unhappy or files unemployment in California, uh, you're going to have a mess on your hands. And, and, and you could be making it bad and hard on the employee. When the employee goes to file their taxes, they may also find that they have an unpleasant surprise. Hmm. So I would say, you don't. Nobody, nobody wins in the long run by not following the rules. So, make, you know, coordinating to make sure that our, that our people practices uh, are in line with whatever the compliance issues there are on the financial side, uh, and the corporate governance side. What other key relationships ought uh, HR and and finance have together? Uh, the other I would say, again, in compliance is that uh, likely you'll work together on any kind of audit that occurs. Um, DOL audits, um, 401k audits, are often shared between those teams, or I've often seen them shared between those teams. And again, if you have a good relationship with with those with each other, HR and accounting have that good relationship, then those types of things move so much smoother and and more timely. Which again is is your whole goal, right? You want to get it done. Nobody's nobody's getting anything out of an audit. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. And the smoother that that process goes, um, the better. Yeah, we don't want any surprises in this process. We want to be able to say, yeah, we can generate these documents. We can turn them over. We can have the conversations. And we know the outcome is going, very likely at least, to be that we're in compliance and that the right people 
have had input along the way to get us there. Which is a great point as well. And I think something, again, back to the communication between the teams and feeling comfortable to say something's gone wrong is that it's so much easier to keep track of those items through the year when they're occurring so that you can keep that information, you have that documentation. So when you get to the point of the audit, which sometimes can be two or three years after the fact, you go back to the relevant year and there's all your information. And probably if it's the same people there, I'm sure we've all had experiences where you go, oh, I remember that. I remember when that happened. So it's just so much easier to have that communication all through the year than to wait when you get to the end. Well, and that's one of the the things that I'm constantly driving home to our people because we do a ton of internal documentation. As a background screening company, we're talking to employers and education institutions and court clerks all over the country. And we're having all these conversations. And at the moment that we're dealing with this headache that's coming out of this courthouse or this employer or whatever, we, we think, oh, we'll always remember that this conversation. But if we don't document it and you know we, we try to remember it six months or a year or two years from now, what happened, we're going to be in trouble. Or worse yet, oh, you know, Susan handled that employment verification with this employer and went through all those conversations with mm-hmm. them two years ago and she didn't work here anymore. Right. And so, so having all those document, uh, you know, documentation processes in place and remembering why we did what we did, uh, even why we changed the policy and having those things documented and say, as of this date, we're doing things this way now. And and these are the people that were involved in making that decision. I'm sure in the accounting HR side, it's the same thing. Oh yeah. I I completely agree with that. And also, I mean, even if you can remember who wants to, I mean, how much room do you have up there, you know, to remember all those, all those ins and outs of things. So I completely agree with that. It just makes it so much cleaner. And it also gives you a time to be mindful and think through what else do we need to address here? And nobody, hardly anybody I know does their best work when they're under pressure. And if you're on a time constraint or you have to hurry up and you're you're anxious about getting the the information back to the auditor, that is not the time that you are looking to answer those questions. So you're in it at the moment, you solve the problem, and then you kind of, you know, after action review, have a recap and figure out what else did we miss or how can we prevent this from happening in the future? And that that's the time to do it. So yeah, all about and absolutely love the documentation. People who work with me, I'm sure, uh, are they if they're listening to this, they're laughing right now about that. Well, and it's I mean, it, it, the documentation takes time, right? I mean, it's you it know, does. it's an extra you know five minutes of you know re- you know recording something in a memo or putting a note down or or whatever. But it's so much easier to have and to respond to whatever the question, whether it's a demand letter from an attorney or it's a regulator or an, a, you know some sort of audit. Or just a you know a client saying what did we do three years ago and you know what did you do this having that paper you know having that recorded and we can look through it and say oh here's what we did here's why we did it and, and you know we've got an answer right at our fingertips right you can, you can take twenty minutes now or you can spend four hours two years from now so it's all it's all time so let's talk about everybody's favorite thing budgeting because uh, that's uh you know, that's an accounting slash finance responsibility in most organizations. But in many organizations, people cost is the single largest line item uh, on their P&L. Mm-hmm. Um, how do HR, I mean, you've really got three different stakeholders here. You've got 
accounting, HR, but then you've got the hiring managers, the people who actually have to produce the widgets or sell the widgets and all those things uh, who give very imperfect information. Um, how do let's talk about through that budgeting process and, and how accounting and HR can work together to make that a, a less painful process for the organization. Um, well, I sound like a broken record, but I think again, it's being proactive. So uh, I think the worst thing that you can do, one of the worst things you can do is to get so far down the process with a candidate that there's already been conversation about an offer before that conversation has been checked out with HR and compared against the budget. And oh, that the, never happens. Never, never. I've never seen it happen. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, depending on your size of organization, maybe you can adjust quicker for that or, or not. And maybe your rules are different depending on how many employees you have. But in, in a lot of larger organizations, they do have um, ranges, sal appropriate salary ranges, min, mid, max. Obviously, they're Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you don't, I would say that's some something to spend time doing because it just saves so much time down the line that you can see clearly, all right, what makes sense here? When you're talking to a candidate, what are they looking for? Is it in the range? Okay. So I think it's just a proactive conversation. And I think it's also bringing to the attention of the hiring manager and potentially in HR, if not already, that what the financial implications are of of doing that. And again, you don't want it to be a bad experience for the em employee who they thought they were going to get one thing. And now you come in and say, Oh, I'm sorry, it's not that it's going to be, you know, $10,000 less. Well, I don't know. I don't know who would be happy about that. Oh, I, it's a lot of conversation and budget can be handled differently. It's so variable depending on organizations. I have seen some organizations that keep that information very close. So it's not widely communicated, but even if it isn't widely communicated and you're in an organization that holds that information close, or maybe they don't have a, a strict budget process, you still can be, have that top of mind and lead with that question with your HR business partner. What, what's my range? What am I looking at? Do I need a market study for that? Just to see, to keep all those things in alignment doesn't make doesn't matter if your range is one thing and your budget is is something else that's a problem but if your budget and your range and your candidate expectations are all different then that everybody needs to talk about that well and right now we're in a, a time of real wage inflation um, you know inflation in general uh, and we're you know we've got a, a what seems to be a, a shrinking workforce in, in, in some areas. And so wages are, are driving up, but my gut tells me a lot of that's going to be relatively short term, and that in three years it'll be a you know a different situation or two years. Um, what would you say to that business leader who says, in order to get the talent that I really want, I need to start paying you know X percent higher, and uh, am I you know and you know how do you deal with that as far as you know, equity inside the organization with existing employees, but also the risk of being committed to a much larger salary than you really would have to pay in two years. And because, I mean, let's face it, we're not going to keep that employee if we go back and say, yeah, well, we're doing a, a, a market adjustment for your payroll. Yay. Which means we're taking you down 5%. Oh, <laughs> that's not going to happen, right? We just don't do that. So, uh, and, and keep that employed. So what would be your advice to, uh, to 
an HR leader, you know, uh, who's who's trying to talk to a manager about how do we bring, how do we how do we stay competitive in a market when, you know, we think we're in a bubble, uh, price wise, wage wise. Um, well, I would uh, always start with talking to HR about having a market um, analysis done to see if that actually is the case. And in lots and in many cases, it is where we've looked at that. And over the over the last couple of years with the change in the in the workforce, I know I've gone through that process a few different times to make sure not because we wanted necessarily to bring someone in, but to say, are we still being competitive? Does this look good? We want to not only be competitive with new candidates, but we want to treat our current people well. And we also don't want to lose them to competition. So we try to be proactive about having those conversations. So I would start with a market analysis. The other thing that I would do is kind of like you said earlier is to look your internally. If you have an option where you have someone in your team currently that maybe you could um, re-level their position or maybe you could look at creating a new position where they have an opportunity to promote and then you would pay accordingly to that position and possibly you have an ability to get maybe there's more candidates for the role that that person may potentially vacate. And you can, everybody wins. You promote that person internally. You've now built some depth in your team. So you already are building bench as you move forward. And you can hire for positions where there's a much larger pool of candidates. So I don't know. I don't know how often that all uh, lines out just like that, but I think that would be, that's the ideal. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for that. And that's all the time we have today. But thank you, Ashley, for joining me. Thank you so much. If you're in the North Texas area, you can hear Ashley present at Fort Worth HR's 13th Annual Strategic Mindset Conference on September 23rd, 2022. You can register at fwhr.org. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.